Mr. Justin. Thank you, Mackenzie. First thing on the recording. Uh, let's see. The question was, people being baptized up there? The answer is yes, and the water is cold because it's a mountain stream that's coming down. We actually have two students, um, Amber and Carly, that have been scheduled to be baptized for several months. Um, twice we had it scheduled and something happened with their family and they wanted family to be there. So I asked the girls, I said, because their mom was going to go on this trip too, which I'm not sure if she's in or out at this point. But I asked them, I said, do you want us to do your baptism at camp in the river? And they were both like, yes. And I said, it's cold. They were like, okay. So, but I'm, this is what I'm thinking. If, if they want to do that, we'll do their baptisms there. When we get back, if, if they want to do something so their families can be a part of their baptism, we'll, we'll do it again. That's, that's what I'm thinking. And yeah, and one of the reasons is if we've got two that need to be baptized and want to be baptized, that's, that's really powerful for everybody else at camp. You know, to see that, to know, hey, on Thursday we're going to do baptism because you got people thinking about it. Maybe they're about ready to make that public. And if they know a baptism is about to happen, you know, sometimes that's enough to, to help them come on out with it. So that, that's my plan right now. We may have two or more baptisms at camp. We'll definitely get that on video because it's cold. One full. It's very warm. It probably is, yeah, cold like that. This is uh, the Greenbrier Pinnacle is the part of the Great Smoky Mountains that kind of backs up to where we're going to be. And all the water coming off that mountain is just condensation and stuff from the mountain. So, I mean, it's, it's that cold. And that's what makes the stream. And it feeds into the Little Pigeon River, which makes its way on down to Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge and becomes the Pigeon River. So that's what it is. So it's just rain and condensation coming off the mountain. But it's cold. It's cold. You can get in it, Miss Patsy. There's a pond there, and they divert some water from the stream over to the pond to keep it full, but it's not as cold. And that's where we're going to swim and blob and canoe and all that stuff. A lot of fun. Um, I was going to the association the other day. Right. And Barry posted something on the calendar. How big he asked for Harvest Life. All right. I know we're not part of the association, but he said, I Put it up there. All of our VBS stuff came in that Barbara ordered, and I gave it to her tonight. So we do camp, and then it's all VBS for a month. A lot of fun. All right, let me read two verses tonight, Revelation 22, and then we're just going to kind of talk about what's said in these verses, and then I want to make um, about one, two, three, four, five points at the end. We got time for that, right? All right, let, let's just read it. You'll see what I'm saying. It's a continuation of everything that we were looking at in 21. We, just, we have a new chapter, but nothing changes. It continues, Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street. Oh, that's one sentence. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing or the therapy of the nations. All right, let's pause here and pray. God in heaven, thank you. Your word gives us information, but it doesn't answer all our questions. But it sure gets us thinking. And tonight as we think about what heaven's going to be like and what these symbols mean, would you again be our teacher? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So 
Jesus talked a lot about water of life. The prophets talked about rivers and, and water of life. So that's kind of a biblical imagery. The Bible itself starts with a tree of life. Remember in the Garden of Eden, in the center, there was a tree of life. So Adam and Eve had access to something called the tree of life. And that, that represents God as the center of all life the source of all life and, and His provision to us. So there's that tree of life. So the Bible starts that way, and now when we get to the very last chapter of the Bible, it ends that way. So we've gone through all of human history. We've gone through a tribulation time that was roughly seven years. We've gone through a millennial reign, a thousand-year reign of Christ. Now we've pushed on into the new heaven and new earth, and that's chapter 21 and chapter 22. So we're way on out there. I mean, we're so far out there in the future. Um, if you think we're old now, okay, that, that's way, way out there. So at some point after the resurrection, our bodies, they don't age like they age here. But we still have bodies. I don't ever want you to think you're going to be some kind of spirit floating around. God made you a, a spirit, a soul, and a body. And you'll always be that. You just won't always wear out and die. <laughs> That's going to be different for us. I, I, I'm going to say prime of life. I don't know. Some perfect. Perfect. We're not going to be children. And we're not going to be old the way we think of old now. And the body's going to do everything. Like Jesus in his resurrected body showed up in a room but didn't come through the door. And he was 33, roughly, when he died and rose again. But in his resurrected body, he did that. But he also ate food. Like he made breakfast for his friends, fish, fish for breakfast. And, he, and they ate. But he did other things in that, in that same body that just don't seem normal to us. And the, and the last scene you see out of it, Jesus is standing there. He's talking to him. He gives him those final instructions. And in that same body, he just ascends up out of their sight into the clouds. Same body. If there's food in heaven, the answer is yes. There's absolute food in heaven. And part of the, yeah, it's, it's all ziti all the time. Part of the study that somewhere in my notes talks about how the angels sat down and ate with people. Um, how Jesus in his resurrected body did the same thing. And then there's descriptions here about the great feast and food. And even the verse we read here, you got 12 kinds of fruit yielding its, so it's, you still have that idea of eating. Maybe we don't have to eat to live. I don't know, but, but it's still here. It's still here. But either way, you start in these first two verses. You're way out there in the concept of heaven to us, new heaven and new earth, and you've got the water of life and, and the river of life and the tree of life. Both of those things are here. So let's just kind of look at a couple of, them, of these things. So the water of life itself, it's a pure river uh, of the water of life. So we went to the spring the other day. That's what John was talking about with our with the camera. You know, we put the camera down in the water, and you could just see it was clear. You see all the way to the bottom. You see the fish and all that kind of thing. So that's the best I can think of. You know, what John's trying to describe in the Middle East would have been spectacular. You know, because all the rivers over there, like where I come from in Alabama, they're just muddy. You know, you can't see the bottom. You step in it, you can't see your feet. But you know, here in Florida, we do have some places that everything's clear. And that's what he's trying to describe. It's, it's a river of life, but it, it's, it's spectacular. It's clear. It's like crystal all the way through. And some of the, the images, let me give you some chapters if you want to look at it. Isaiah 48 is a good chapter. Uh, Zechariah 14 
and Ezekiel 47. Those are just three places you can go and, and read the same imagery being used by the prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, I want to read you one more time. Okay, Isaiah 48, Zechariah 14, and Ezekiel 47. And then I want to read you something from Psalm 46. Okay, this is Psalm 46, verse 5 and 6. I mean, 4 and 5. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. So, you know, here's a song, a psalm, speaking of this same uh, river in the city of God. And that's what we're reading about here in Revelation. And those two things were written hundreds and hundreds of years apart. Um, yeah, I guess for us it's a little different because we've been surrounded by water most of our lives. Any, any of you ever lived in a desert or desert part of the world? You know, so the Middle East, it's kind of that way, you know, a lot of deserts. So water always brings gladness and joy if it's good water, you know. And, and so, again, that's part of that imagery that if you live in a, a wet place like Florida or the southeastern part of the United States, maybe it doesn't have the same impact as someone who lived in Arizona or some desert, Egypt or something like that. But, again, that it's something that's supposed to make people uh, happy and those kinds of things. Now, the river comes from the throne of God and from the Lamb. I'll give you a, a Ezekiel 47. We were talking about Ezekiel 47 earlier. The, the thing that Ezekiel sees is that the river comes down from the temple in Jerusalem into the sea, but that river belongs to the millennial reign. Okay, so it's a river, but it's in that thousand-year reign of Christ. This one is a different river because it comes straight out of the throne. It's a better river, and you have better trees. So that's what we're reading about here in Revelation 22. Now, um, I wanted to read you one quote. This comes from a guy named John Walford, and this is what he said. The visual picture presented is, is that the river flows through the middle of the city, and the tree is large enough to span the river so that the river is in the middle of the street and the tree is on both sides of the river. That make sense? It's big. So if you could imagine a, a, a giant street with a river in the middle. Um, closest thing I've ever seen to that was in um, Dublin, Ireland. They've got O'Connell Street and part of O'Connell Street has the river running down the middle of the street. Part of it. So maybe some concept like that. The river's going down the street. The street's bigger than the river, but the tree's in the middle of the river, but the tree spans bigger than the river and the street. Kind of spectacular is the way you look at it. When we get there, we'll see. Okay, that, that's what I'm going to say. When we get there, we'll see. The water and the tree, they ultimately just speak of the restoration of all things. Now, I want to talk about the leaves of the tree being for the healings of the nations. There is a uh, time indicator there because it's, it, it produces its fruit every month. And you kind of want to think, when we get to heaven, time won't matter anymore. But there's a couple of time markers here in Revelation that tell us, as far as we're concerned, there is still time. So a new heaven, a new earth, like this heaven and earth, is time and space, and it still marks time. So some way or another, there's still a marking of time, and here it describes 12 months. And so the fruit is produced every month for the 12 months. So you do have a time marker. Exactly. That's a good question. So the word there is therapeian. 
Sounds like therapy. So we just took our English therapy straight out of Greek, which is therapian. And it's that same concept of well-being and goodness. So if you go to therapy, the idea is that you get better or that you get back to being well and you have well-being. That's therapy. And so it gets translated in most Bible versions as healing. But just think in terms of therapy. Think in terms of well-being and wholeness and goodness. That, that's what the leaves of the tree are for. Not so much that we're, we're sick and we need healing, but it's the constant idea of everything being good and healthy and well. So that's kind of where it is. Now, Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, and I'm, I'm kind of moving fast because I don't want us to run out of time completely. Charles Spurgeon, the preacher, says that, and, it, and he was many years ago, but he said, people don't fix their eyes on heaven. And this is a quote from him. He says, We do not suppose that a man is shooting at a target if he does not look that way. Right? I mean, if somebody's just pointing a gun and they're not looking, we don't think they're trying to hit the target. And that's what he says about heaven. So we don't think that a person's ambition is set toward heaven if none of his thoughts or words ever go that way. So if we don't think about heaven and we don't talk about heaven, then how could we really say that we've got our hearts set on heaven? That, that's what I'm saying. And I do believe that if we, if we put our mind toward heaven, and that's something we actually think about and something we try to meditate on, I think it changes how we think and what we do. You know, if we think about where we're going, this is where we belong, this is what heaven's going to be like. The more real that becomes, the more it impacts the way we live today. And so for, for many of us, you know, every year that goes by, we got more people that we know in heaven, right? And that, that does change heaven for you. You know, I remember as a kid, I knew people died and went to heaven, but it, that wasn't real to me. But the older I got and the more people that I knew who are true believers who passed away in this world, I knew they went to heaven. And that made heaven more special to me. And, and every year that goes by and the more people I know that go, the more heaven means to me. And so if you think about heaven, you think about the people that are there, but you think about all the things the Bible teaches us about heaven, and, and that starts to change how we think and what we do. So this is what I wrote down. So what happens when we focus on heaven? I'm going to give you five of these real quick. Number one, hope increases. Hope in increases. So if we focus on heaven, one of the things that happens first is hope increases. Uh, Sunday, it is Father's Day. And that's a special day, but I'm not going to preach about Father's Day. You know, Kind of like I, we, we had Mother's Day recognition, but I didn't actually preach about Mother's Day. Same thing with Father's Day. So part two of our series uh, on my big fat mouth is criticism. So criticism. Last week it was, it was uh, complaining. This week it's criticism. And one of the points that, that I'm going to talk about Sunday with criticism is that the opposite of that is to deal in hope. To deal in hope. Because you can deal in criticism. Some people think that's a spiritual gift. You know, they criticize everybody. But the opposite of that is to deal in hope. You know, and, and, and hope is powerful. I've watched people have their hope taken away, and that's devastating. But I've also seen people, the right word said at the right time gives them hope, and it changes their life. Absolutely changes their life. I mean, when people have real hope about themselves and about their future, I mean, it, it, there is no drug that can do what hope can do, you know, so be a hope dealer. <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's what I'm going to talk about. But when you think about heaven, that's what it does. I don't know how many times as a pastor I've sat with people that are getting close to the end of their life. They don't want to talk about going fishing. 
They don't want to talk about great vacations they had. They never talk about their money. Forget that. They talk about where they're going next. All of a sudden, heaven is so important, and that hope is what sustains them through really what's going to be one of the greatest challenges they ever face in this life, the valley of the shadow of death. What gets you through that is real and lasting hope. And so when we focus on heaven, it starts to give us hope. Kind of flip that coin over. This is number two. What happens when we focus on heaven is our troubles minimize. So our hope increases, but our trouble minimizes. And I don't mean your trouble goes away. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the way you look at your trouble goes away. You can have something big and bad. You can have a terminal illness, okay? But if you know the reality of heaven, and that's in your heart, with all the trouble you're dealing with, it just goes from being this important to this important. It just starts dropping down. You know, it's not that the pain goes away. It's not that the disease goes away. It's not that the trouble goes away. It's just heaven is so powerful and the hope overcomes that and the trouble starts to minimize. And, and you kind of get, you know, and I don't mean this about terminal illness, but I mean about other problems. It just puts them in perspective. You know, the, the, the little problems we have, you know, my car's not running right. You know, sometimes that can ruin your day. What's that, Candy? See, you got a car problem, frustrating, aggravating, all that kind of stuff. But it's just all of our cars are going to the junkyard, right? None of them are going to last forever. New septic system. Yeah. <laughs> Everything in this world wears out, breaks down, all of it. I mean, it's, it's what, what were the three I used to say? Failure, frustration, and futility. Those three. I mean, that's everything in this world. So you set your mind on heaven, the place you're going, the place that's forever, and it kind of puts those things here and now in perspective, and it, it changes that. And remember last Sunday we talked about this to some degree. We talked about if you can change your circumstances, do it. But if you can't, the next step is change your perspective. That's biblical. That is absolutely biblical. And Paul was our best example of that because he saw his life as a life being poured out as a sacrifice to God. And he was chained to a Roman soldier when he wrote it. You know, he wasn't saying, God, please get me out of here and I'll be good forever. You know, he wasn't wheeling and dealing with God and complaining about his circumstance. You know, he, he saw it a whole different way. And, and that perspective is the change that happens when we think about heaven. Number three, things become things. Things become things. So things become things. Things become things. The thing we drive is just a thing. The, the place we live is just a thing. All of those things are just things. And, and so when you think about heaven and you just really go that direction, then all the other stuff here and now, we just, it's just a thing, right? It's just a thing. Um, some of y'all, y'all like me, y'all ahead of me in this thing, okay? When, you, when you're younger, you accumulate stuff, right? And do we accumulate some stuff? And then people give us stuff, right? And then family members like, you can't throw this away. You know, heirloom, generational. And they give us stuff. And, and your house, it just collects all this stuff. But at some point, enough people have died that you can get rid of some of it, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You can start getting rid of some of this stuff. And so you get to this next stage, and that's kind of where my wife and I are moving into now. We're... We're downsizing stuff. We're getting, you know, it's an important thing. Here, son, you need this. Here, daughter, you, we're giving it to them. We're passing it on, you know. We're not keeping this anymore. Because it was important, and it is important, but it's just a thing. It's just a thing. My kids say, what all of that? I don't want that. 
I know. I know it. But there, there's times in a family, like in the life cycle of a family, where certain things are just, they're like, they're everything, you know, they're so important. And then you get, you know, years down the road and it's just a thing again, just a thing again. And, you know, when you kind of, when you think about heaven, it makes all the things just be things. That's what it does. I'm not taking any of my stuff with me to heaven. And that, that kind of gets me to the next point, okay? So this is number four. People become precious. People become precious. Because what's the one thing that's going to leave here and go there? It's people, right? People. The souls, it's people. And so, so when you start thinking about heaven and what's going to be there, you're going to be there. And the things are just things. They're not going. But the people become precious. You know, you love people. You work with people. You pour your life out for people. You know, and, and you don't do that for other stuff. You don't do that for... You use the things that are temporary to be a blessing to the people who are eternal. That's what you do. That's what Jesus tried to teach us to do. You know, Jesus said, if you got money, make friends with it. Use it in a way that's going to help people into the kingdom. Use it for good because it's, it's no good anywhere else. And it's no good if you don't do anything with it. So use it in a way that's going to be... It's going to help people because people last forever. All right, so one more. Let me do one more because I'm almost out of time. Number, number, what is it, five? Number five. Uh, life becomes a story. When you think about heaven and kind of you're on your way there, at that point, life becomes a story. When we go to camp next week, those of you going, one of my sessions, the, la the fourth session, the one I do, is, is helping students understand how God's work in their life is, part of, is just part of a bigger story. It's part of a bigger story for them, but it's part of a bigger story for God's kingdom. And so that's going to be one of our main points. And, and heaven does that for us. Because when we get to heaven, I'm not the center, and you're not either. We're all part of a huge, huge story because in the center is the throne with God, with Christ. And everything centers around that. And we bring something to it. You bring an expression of God that doesn't exist anywhere else. You were made in the image of God, but you're not a clone. You know, you're just one little part of the image of God, and that's why you have to be there, because without you, there's something that's not going to be seen in eternity about God. It comes through you. That, that's amazing, right? That's, that's pretty heavy stuff, but that, that's what it means. And so you're just one part of God's great big story. And when you start thinking about heaven and seeing it for what it is, that's what it does. It, it makes your life part of that bigger story. Your life becomes part of his story. Yes. So we're just a link in the chain? Kinda. I like that, a link in a chain. I'm just gonna say every link's different. They don't look they don't look the same, they don't feel the same. Like you know, like like John brings something of the image of God into the world that nobody else ever will or ever could. You know, and John will do the same thing in heaven forever. Because that's the way God made John, you know, and, and all of us have some part of that and that stuff lasts forever. And, you know, that that kind of backs up to the previous point. When we say people are precious. That's why everybody's made in the image of God. And if you want to know why Christian people get so upset about end of life or ending life early and all those things, that's why. Because we believe everybody is made in the image of God and life is precious. All right. So that's my five. I got through it. Two verses. 
got 10 minutes. It's 6.50, so we covered it right. So when you come back next week, we'll do a few more verses, and we'll keep. Oh, we won't be here next week. When you come back in two weeks, I may talk about camp the whole time. Who knows? Julie may be talking about camp the whole time, or Patsy, or or Kathy or whatever. So we may just get the students in here and let them talk about camp. Yeah, we'll do that. But but this gets us started in the last chapter of the Bible, and it is a spectacular chapter. All right, let's close in prayer. God in heaven, we are so grateful. Anytime we think about heaven and we come to the end of, of the Bible and it just leaves us with such striking images of where we're going, it just blows us away. And so it is my prayer, Lord, that you'll continue to encourage us with these things, keep it in our heart and minds, and let it make a difference in the way we live. Bless each person here, bless their families, and be with us as we leave tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all for being here.